Welcome to KISS FAQ Song Stories. In this series, we'll focus on the histories of some of KISS's best and least known songs. In this episode, Let Me Know, originally released on KISS's debut album in 1974. Originally known as Sunday Driver, this song dated back as far as 1968. The song's importance to Kistry is twofold. Firstly, it was the first song that Stanley Eisen played for Gene Klein at their first meeting at Stephen Cornell's house. And secondly, perhaps more importantly than being one of the earliest songs the future star child wrote, it was the song he chose to play when challenged to play one of his songs for Gene. Paul recalled the scene and faced the music. One night I went over to Steve's Manhattan apartment in Washington Heights, not far from where I had lived as a little kid. Steve's room was painted black, and in the room was a big burly guy. Stan, said Steve, this is Gene Klein. Gene had long hair and a beard under his double chin. He was very overweight. I was pretty stocky back then, but this guy was huge. He was wearing overalls and sandals and looked like something from the then-new country music show Hee Haw. Gene made it clear right away that he didn't see us as his musical equals. He played some songs for us that I thought were sort of goofy. Then he challenged me to play one of my songs, so I played something called Sunday Driver, which I later retitled Let Me Know. He seemed completely thrown that someone besides John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and Gene Klein could write a song. It was a moment of realization for him. Here was another guy who wasn't famous who could actually write a song. He was visibly taken aback. He mumbled, hmm. I was annoyed that he saw himself as operating at a level that qualified him to pass judgment on me, as though all that mattered was his approval. Particularly because I hadn't thought much of his songs, the idea that he was judging me seemed arrogant, condescending, and ludicrous. He made it clear that he felt himself to be judging from a higher plane, and I didn't like that at all. Gene, of course, had no clue about my ear, which was covered up by my hair, but I was pre-programmed to dislike being scrutinized and judged. It wasn't a nice thing to do as far as I was concerned, and I wasn't eager to work with the guy. Gene recalled in Nothing to Lose, I liked Sunday Driver, and was struck by how good the construction and melody was. The lyrical point of view of Sunday Driver sounded English, like Eight Days a Week or A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles. I also really liked his voice. Stephen in the same book recounted that both Gene and Paul performed their songs for each other confidently. Interestingly, he also recalls Paul playing a song by The Move, which he wasn't familiar with, perhaps suggesting that Firehouse also appeared at this point. At the time, the two certainly didn't work together. The timeline is not clear, but by this time, Gene had probably already seen Paul perform. Another mutual friend who played in bands with both Gene and Paul, Marty Cohen, recalled, Steve, that's Cornell, and I were also in a band together that ended up with Paul Stanley while Gene was up at college. He came to see us play at a place called The Cave on Columbus Avenue. It was this sort of place where you'd go downstairs, and it was built out of styrofoam to look like a cave. At the time, we were playing with Stan Singer on drums. I think it was called Tree. I really don't remember the name we had for it. Gene came down to see us play, and that was really where he first met Paul Stanley. 
It was basically Steve's invite because Steve and Gene were very good friends, and so Gene came down to see Steve's band. And of course I knew Gene because I'd been in a band with him up at Sullivan Community College. So he came to see me too, although he was much more of a friend to Steve than me because they had a childhood friendship. Whatever the case, Sunday Driver provides the soundtrack to the strands of the embryonic kiss coming together. Gene and Paul ultimately would work together, first in Rainbow, which quickly became Wicked Leicester, and this song was recorded by that band as part of their acoustic reel on August the 7th, 1971. It was also performed in public by Wicked Leicester at Richmond Community College, and a version exists on at least one live recording of the band known to exist. While the song wasn't noted at either the band's first Popcorn Pub, Coventry, or Daisy shows, it did turn up listed on a unified rap sheet purportedly for later Daisy engagements. The song, by which that point had gained a bridge section and a new title, first features during the rehearsal attributed to the 23rd Street Loft in the late summer of 1973. The song was also recorded during the Bell Sound Studio demo sessions of September the 24th and 25th, 1973. Considering it was Paul's song, it may seem odd with its history that Gene sings the first and third verses with Paul handling the second and other call-outs throughout. The 3 minute and 33 second Let Me Know recording has even more of a laid-back 1960s rock and roll feel during the Bell Sound session than the later recorded version, but it's already convincingly arranged, unlike many of the other songs in the band's catalogue at that time. The lyrical structure and flow is nearly identical to the album version until the final verse, which is essentially only missing the I'll be your loving man, you'll be my bundle of joy lyric. It's not clear whether that lyric was erroneously omitted during the recording or added as the band recorded the song during the proper album sessions. During the album sessions, the song was also transformed with the addition of the ending lyrics. However, the lyrical structure of the song begs the question as to whether there was ever any additional lyrics incorporating the missing days of the week, Thursday through Saturday. Currently, the Coventry recording from December 1973 provides the earliest known live recording of the piece. <laughs>
While this song was omitted from the live album, it was clearly worked on during the preparation of the album. A version of the song was included on the King Biscuit Alive radio show broadcast in November 1975. Like Let Me Go Rock and Roll on Alive, this song makes reference to the source it may have been comprised of. In this case, Paul shouts Goodnight Cleveland at the end of the song. Since Let Me Know wasn't included on Alive, comparing this with the so-called outtake included on You Wanted the Best in 1996 is difficult. That album's version's vocals are clearly re-recorded or sourced from another show, and other tweaks make it very difficult to compare the underlying source material. However, excluding those changes, the bass track appear to be very similar in terms of the musical performance. The You Wanted the Best version was purportedly built on source material recorded in Detroit 1975. Direct comparison with the King Biscuit version makes it pretty clear which vocal track was from 1975 and which sounds like it was then more recent. Other than the differing audience track, the King Biscuit version clearly parallels Alive more closely than the 1996 material. Oddly, the song was never performed more than partially during the KISS convention tour of 1995 and has, to date, only been revived for the KISS Cruise 3 during 2013. 